We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ, and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. together in that, and uh, Father, we, we specifically pray for these, these churches uh, in our area, our, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters, um, as they are um, as they are uniting together, as they are coming together, um, Father, without a, uh, without a pastor, uh, Father, we pray for these churches, uh, these, these, or rather we pray for, for your church uh, that you have entrusted to this local assembly, and uh, we pray, Father, that you would continue uh, to lead it, uh, you would continue to guide it, Father, they would follow after the great shepherd, Jesus, and we also pray, Father, that you would appoint and you would raise up uh, an under-shepherd, a pastor who would lead the people and who would, who would shepherd the flock and who would want to, to guard the people and to teach them, and we pray, Father, that uh, uh, for, for, for Hillcrest Baptist Church and for Baxter Avenue Church and and for many others, Father, that you would, uh, that you would work in these churches, uh, that, uh, that they, may, uh, they may have a pastor that you have appointed, uh, that your church may continue to grow, that your gospel will be proclaimed, uh, that you would be glorified, and all this would be done in the power of your spirit. And Father, we thank you for the pastor. We thank you for these men that you have raised up to, to lead and to guide and to shepherd your people. And uh, we pray, Father, that as you have, as you have shown us in your word the, the glory of this, of this office, um, we pray, Father, that you would also uh, give help to them, give, give encouragement to them through your word, through your spirit, and through their people. And uh, Father, we thank you that uh, even as we will get to see just a little bit tonight about, uh, about the pastor and about the, uh, the, the work that they do, and uh, we pray, Father, that, uh, that you would indeed just, that just bless and be with our pastors this evening. And uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening. Uh, welcome back to Midweek Worship. We're continuing our series in the book of Malachi, uh, our, our third message this evening in Malachi. And uh, we'll be looking at the beginning of chapter 2. So as we, uh, as we begin to look there, uh, remember we've called our series uh, Arguing with, with God. It's kind of this just helpful little reminder that as we read through the book, Malachi is using uh, these sort of statements and questions uh, from God uh, that, uh, that the people often respond with kind of like, a, well, well, How? You know, they kind of push back against what God is declaring or even judging them on. So we call this arguing with God. We actually, we saw the first example of this was in our very first message right at the beginning of the book. Um, and uh, in, in chapter 1, verse 2, it says that it's, uh, the Lord says, I have loved you. And, and, and the people reply, how have you loved us? So you see, we see this pushback. And from that first message and, and, and God's explanation of his love and his choosing of his people, his sovereignty over all people, uh, we see that it is not God's love that needs to be questioned, uh, but rather it's the Israelites' love for God that needs to be questioned. And that actually would bring us to what happened last week as Brother Bryce preached the end of chapter 1. And actually, uh, really, it brings us to the whole book because he preached on true worship. 
And that's really what the entire book of Malachi is about because you see the proper response to God loving you and to God calling you is to worship him. But the book of Malachi is full of indictment of of the failures, the rebellion, the disobedience of the people. Uh, And in this book, we see Malachi calling the people out on this of their their lack of worship, their their lack of honoring God in, in, for example, their their offerings, their their worship that Bryce talked about, the the priestly duties that we'll look at tonight, or even in their marriage or in tithing. Uh, But we also see Malachi in this indictment. He's also pointing us forward to a hope. Uh, There is is hope. There is a messenger that is coming, the... the, um, this, this one who's coming to prepare the way of the Lord. Uh, and so this, this evening, as I said, we're actually still under that, uh, that second question that Bryce brought up uh, last week in, in verse, or check, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 6. He says, A son honors his father, a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. And then we see the reply from the people. We see the pushback. But you say, how have we despised your name? So again, we see that that pushback, sort of arguing with God. And we also see that we're continuing to talk about this idea of of worship of of God, a a true worship. And so that conversation continues at the end of chapter 1. And actually, they continue. There's actually another question that they bring up from the people. And then there's an explanation through Malachi. And thus we get to this topic of polluted offerings and and false worship. So as we continue that same section, still wanting to look at this this worship and how we are to worship God and this true worship, as we come to this evening where specifically the priests are are talked about, I want to talk about uh, after a true worship, uh, a priestly worship. And so in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, which is the text for this evening, we see a special emphasis or, or rather a special rebuke given to the priests. So this evening, we're going to walk through the passage together, and we want to explain, give context to some of the language we see there. We're actually going to see how Malachi compares the the failures of these these priests of of his time. He's rebuking them. We see how he compares the failures of these priests with the priests of old, the priests of of, of Levi, even comparing them to Levi himself. And and from this line of Levi is where we see all priests come. So so Malachi compares and contrasts uh, these two different priests. And then from there, we can see what this means for the priesthood of all believers, as we talk about this this role, this office of the priest. And then specifically, as we talk about the priesthood of all believers, what this means for pastors. And ultimately, all of this should be pointing us to a true and an ultimate high priest that is Jesus. So we'll look at that at the end of the evening. So as we begin to walk through the text, let's read Malachi chapter 2, 1 through 9, and then begin to look at what we have there. Malachi 2, starting in verse 1. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. 
My covenant with him was one of life and peace. And I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He, he walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Verse 8, but you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Pray with me as we pray over the, the, the word and the message this evening. Father, we thank you again for who you are and for your goodness. And I pray for myself and for the hearers this evening from Psalm 119. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's, there's a lot in this text, and like I said, we'll just begin to walk through it, kind of explain some things, give some, give some context to what's going on there. So the first thing we come to in, in, uh, in verse 2, um, he, says that, uh, he says that I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. And so now as we look at, the, uh, look at these priests' This context that we need to have as we're thinking about Malachi writing to uh, the people of Israel, this, this Old Testament people, is we need to think back to the law that was given to the people and the law specifically that was given to the priests. And so uh, when we see this, this blessing, this curse language, and we're talking about priests, we can draw our attention to Deuteronomy chapter 21 and in, in verse 5. Then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come forward, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord. And by their word, every dispute and every assault shall be settled. And so we see right from the beginning that as we, as we see how, how Malachi, through the Spirit and, and from the Lord, this oracle of the Lord, he says that, that he will send a curse upon them and he will curse their blessings. So the priests of Israel... Ministering to God, blessing to the people. They're supposed to be acting as, as intercessors, as mediators for a sinful people before a holy God. And they're to bless the people. The people come to them for, for, uh, for instruction as well as for, for offerings and for sacrifices. And they're to be a blessing to the people. But because of their polluted and false worship, God says, now your blessings will be a curse. You will be a, a curse to, your, to my people. You'll be a curse to the people that you're supposed to be serving, a curse to the people that you should be blessing. And so we see, again, that this language of just indictment and judgment from the Lord of hosts. And so as we think about cursing and blessing, we see how there's a failure on this part of the priest. Next, we come to uh, this, this great word that the ESV uses, dung. Uh, that we see in, in, verse, uh, in verse 3. Um, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it's dumb. The CSB says animal waste. Okay, I think you guys know where I'm, what I'm getting at there. Um, and so, uh, really, even in our context, this sounds pretty bad, okay? I don't think we really have to explain it. In one sense, uh, dung is being wiped on their faces. Uh, but I do want to add a little bit further explanation when we, again, look at the law, when we, again, look at the, the context of the priests that Malachi is talking to, and this time we turn to Exodus 29, um, and uh, it, we, we find it specifically in verse 14. I'm going to just try to quickly read Exodus 29, 10 through 14. And this is talking about after the people have left Egypt, they, they, they're, they're on their way to the promised land. They stop by way of Mount Sinai, right? And the, the, God has given them instruction on how to worship him and what they're supposed to be doing as his people. Exodus 29, verse 10. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. And then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. And the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. And you shall take the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. Okay, this is how you are to worship me through, this, through using this bull. And what does verse 14 say? But the flesh of the bull... And its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. So now, again, we see the priests are supposed to be a blessing to the people. And God says, no, you'll be a curse to these people. And the priests who are supposed to administer the sacrifices and offerings on behalf of the people, they are to be, they are to be clean. Even before all of these sacrifices happen, there's all the rituals that they go through to be cleaned before this holy God. And what does God say he's going to do? He's going to make them unclean. He's going to spread this dung on their faces. And, and to be clear, Malachi says, the dung from your offerings, the stuff that is supposed to be burned and taken outside the camp. Small bit of further context there, right? This is the, the tent of meeting. This is the, the tabernacle. There is no temple yet, okay? It's in the middle. There's the Holy of Holies. The rest of the people are surrounding it. Okay, this is the camp. This is where God's presence dwells. And he's telling the priests to get outside of the camp, okay? You have failed in your office. You have failed in your worship. So God says, I'm spreading dung on your faces, and you should be removed from the camp. That is not how you worship me. So, dung. We also see, uh, I've talked about this just a little bit. We also come to this language uh, in verse 4. So you shall know that I have sent this command to you, that my, my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. And so we, when we think about priests, immediately, really, we should think back to the history of the priests that God has given us in the Bible. And that brings us to Levi. So Levi was one of the, the, the original 12 sons of Jacob. So you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jacob's name gets turned into Israel. You have these 12 sons. You do have to mix and match a little bit. And eventually you get the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, except for Levi. And we read in Joshua 13. Remember Joshua right after Deuteronomy. Joshua's leading them into the promised land. We see in Joshua 13. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. So they don't get a portion of the land. They're not divvying things up between all the people. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. And again, Joshua 18, the Levites have no portion among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their heritage. 
So when we talk about this covenant of Levi, we're going all the way back to Levi himself, who was who from his line is called to, to, to have this, this tribe, this people, and all of them are going to be priests. I mentioned Aaron earlier in the, the, the cross-reverence of Exodus. He and Moses are both listed as sons of Levi, right? They're in the same tribe, and they function as priests. And so, um, and, it, and actually, if we go back to verse 3, it says, I will rebuke your offspring, okay? Like he's saying, everyone who comes from you, from Levi, are supposed to be priests. Now he's going to rebuke their offspring. Okay, now he's saying, you're done with it. There's not going to be any more priests because you're doing it wrong. Okay, so now he reminds us of this covenant of Levi, what is, what is supposed to be happening. And so we're reminded of the covenant of Levi. And then finally, we get uh, the, the, end of our, uh, the end of our passage. We have several mentions, especially as we see soon, the, the comparison and the, the contrasting between the different types of priests. We see several references to teaching that, uh, that the priests are supposed to be doing. So we've talked about how they're supposed to be administering these sacrifices and these offerings. But they're also supposed to be teaching the people. And this um, as we, uh, kind of our last cross-reference as we walk through the text, we find in, in Deuteronomy 33, which is the end of Deuteronomy, Moses is giving these final instructions to his people. And so Moses' final instructions to the Levites is, they shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. And then we even see in the book of Leviticus, the book of Levi, this law, in chapter 10, Verse 10, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And verse 11, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So not only are they to be administering these sacrifices and offerings, but they're supposed to be teaching the entire law, what we would call the first five books of the Old Testament. They're not only supposed to do it for the people, they're supposed to make sure the people know what they're doing. Okay, they're teaching all of his testimonies, his instructions, his statutes, his law. All of these words refer to what God had given to his people. And the, 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 uh, the Israelites are supposed to know all of this from the priests, from this line of Levi. And so hopefully that helps as we've walked through those first nine verses, give some context to some of the words and the language we see there. And now we kind of get a small picture of what's going on. Uh, I think one of the main things that Malachi has done here is he has contrasted, again, the priests of Levi and these, these polluted priests of his time. And so now we begin to look at that. And as we see that, I think we're going to see uh, three areas of failure that he points out, and those same three areas, he contrasts them with how, how Levi, this covenant of Levi, upheld them. This, they were successful in their priestly order. So we see personal devotion, public worship, and, and proclaiming truth. Public, or sorry, personal devotion, public worship, and proclaim the truth. And so if we kind of just start jumping back and forth between verses that are comparing here, we come to verse uh, 2. If you will not listen if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, and I will curse you and, and I will curse your blessings. He says, take it to heart. He actually repeats the phrase at the end of, of verse 2. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. First and foremost, these priests are not just fulfilling an order or an office that God has called them to. They're fulfilling a call because they are God's people. It's not just that they're priests. They're an Israelite. They're son of Abraham. They're one who is called by God. And they should be personally devoted to this holy, awesome, magnificent God. 
And they should be taking all of these things to heart. This isn't just a a public face. They get out there. They get to wear their ephods. uh, They get to teach the people. They might get to kill a few animals. And then they get to go back to their tent and it's all done. No, they are an Israelite. There should be personal devotion to this God that has called them. And we can go back to our first message, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. So, so, um, there should be a personal devotion. And we can see this if we compare verse 5. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. So we actually see he's already, he's already cursed them. He said, I'm going to curse you. And then in verse 2, I've already cursed you. And then in verse 5, I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Okay? This is way before the priest gets out in front of the people. He feared Yahweh. He feared the Lord. And he stood in awe of his name. This was, this was, this was that, that holy reverence that we often think about when we hear the word fear in the Bible. I also think it's probably a little bit bigger than that because they're the ones that are going literally to the presence of God. Okay? There's death that happens in the presence of God as an unclean sinner. So there's a different kind of fear there and in awe. The God who who called Abraham, the God who saved them in Egypt, the God who called them out of Egypt and who conquered all of the Egyptians, and the God who gave them the promised land, and the God who gave them the prophets and gave them King David and gave them King Solomon and all of this, that God you are in awe of. You, personally, first, a personal devotion. But we also see that there is a function that they are to fulfill in a, in a public setting. They are called to be priests and a blessing to the people. So now we can see in, in verse 3, this is the failure. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So this talks about the offering. And then in verse 8, but you have turned aside from the way, you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And in this public setting, you are supposed to be clean, not spread with dung. And you are supposed to be offering instruction that brings people to the knowledge of this holy God. Not, not causing them to stumble. It's so interesting that they didn't just fail in their task. It's not like some were teaching and some were not. It says, you caused many to stumble by your instruction. They were still attempting to offer instruction and proclaim this truth that we'll talk about. But they were doing it poorly. And they caused stumbling to happen. But look how he talks about the covenant of old. Verse 6, true instruction was in his mouth. And no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. And what happens? And he turned many from iniquity. He didn't cause them to stumble. He turned them from, the, from iniquity. He turned them from the other way. He turned them from iniquity. There is a personal devotion and a public worship. And as priests, part of this public worship is, is, is in the corporate setting. It's not just who they are, but who they are with. They are, called, they are called to give instruction and to be, to be there on behalf of the people. 
to give instruction, and to turn many away from iniquity? Their instruction was to be so instructive that others should not sin. We're not just talking about giving advice. They're to instruct from the law of the Lord that others would not sin. Turn from iniquity. And then finally, proclaiming the truth. We've actually already talked about a little bit already. In in verse 9, we see the failure again. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. And then in verse 7, we see this, this success, this glory of the covenant of Levi. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. And people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. They are to proclaim truth. Not not meddle with partiality. And whether this is a partiality of wanting to only teach some and not others and distinguish between the people in in their own people group, or whether it's a partiality, most likely, of what they want to teach. I read from Psalm 119 as a prayer when we started, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Friends, we do not get to pick and choose what we want to be true from the Bible. There is no partiality in teaching and believing the true and errant word of God. What there is, is a guarding of knowledge. God has revealed himself to us, especially in this way, in the law, and now in all of the testimonies of the entire Bible, and we should guard that knowledge. So much so that people should seek instruction from us. What a testimony as a Christian living in this world, in whatever context, that people are seeking instruction from you. Because you are living and obeying and honoring the God of the universe. The God who created it all. If you want to know how to live, you want to know how it works, why don't you follow the creator? He made it. He made it all work. People should seek instruction from his mouth. So, walk through the text. We compare and contrast these these polluted priests with the covenant of Levi. So now, what does that mean for us? And honestly, I haven't addressed this yet. Maybe some of you are wondering, uh, Andrew, He literally starts off with saying, and now, O priests, this command is to you. I'm not, I'm aware that none of us here are priests. I'm I'm aware that there actually shouldn't be any more priests. That might be a a conversation for another time. Um, But the point is, as we'll see later, there's been one true, ultimate, final priest, one high priest above all who is final, ultimate. I mean, whatever word you need to say there, that is, that is everything, that all is fulfilled in Christ. So there is one true priest. I don't believe there should be any more, whether of different religions or, or uh, uh, of different kind of branches of Christianity. I don't believe there's any priest. In fact, aside from our one true high priest, the Bible, the New Testament, even seems to teach a priesthood of all believers. Perhaps you've heard this phrase. We find this this language of priesthood twice in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, and then in 9, 10. Lots of of cross-references. So, 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious... Now verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
You, Peter's writing to the church, writing to Christians, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then Peter brings it up again just a few verses later, same, same chapter, 1 Peter 2, now in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Not only are you a chosen race, verse 10, once you weren't even a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to be a priesthood of believers. That means that now to God through Jesus Christ, we offer spiritual sacrifices. That means that now we proclaim excellencies of God. And I would add both to God, we proclaim his own excellencies to him, and also to others, we proclaim these excellencies. So, as we've looked at that, compare and contrast, I think we can now, as we understand this priesthood of all believers, we can now turn to even look at us. What does personal devotion, public worship, and proclaiming truth look like for us as Christians? A personal devotion. I'm feeling convicted, right? I mean, I mean, this is like the Sunday school answer. Read your Bible and pray. But how, how often do we not do that? A personal devotion. No one else needs to know about it. No one else needs, needs, needs to see. How are, you, how are you personally devoted to this God? What, what spiritual sacrifices are you offering to him as you come together to, to find the, the truth and the treasure in his word? What excellencies do you find there that you want to, that before you even tell anyone else, you just want to proclaim them back to God. You are, you are excellent. Personal devotion. There is, though, a, a, a public worship. There is still this, I mean, this, this glorious truth that God has called his people together. He has called the church and he has called us all together. That as brothers and sisters, united in Christ by the power of the Spirit, through the gospel, he may be glorified. There is a public worship. And we heard a lot about that from Brother Bryce last week. A true worship because of who God is. A true worship. If you don't remember, if you weren't here, his illustration of, of, uh, of the queen coming to your house. And are you going to serve her the, the T-bone steaks that you just bought that day or, or the... I'm going to take it even further. The, the ground chuck that you bought a couple months ago, okay? Like, I mean, ribeye steak. I think that sounds fine, but he's, uh, ground chuck, all right? You don't even have, like, it's not even meat yet. You have to, like, patty it or fry it, or you're going to give her the, grill out the T-bone steak. So, right, this is a true worship, a public worship that as we come together, what are we going to offer? What are we going to worship? What are we going to proclaim to our God? And again, as we look at the priests, this public worship is also for those around us. How beautiful it is that we sing together. I mean, what a beautiful picture of either, whether you're singing in unison and we're all together or in harmony and we're all filling in those parts, lifting up our voices together. What a beautiful picture that we sing together in public worship. And what a beautiful picture that we all want to sit together to pray. We pray for one another 
And we pray for others. We pray for other churches. We pray for seminaries. We pray for lost people groups all around the world. What a display of public worship that we pray to a God that we know hears our prayers and answers our prayers. And we do that together as encouragement for one another, as exhortation for one another. And I would even say at one point there's almost this, 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 this pinnacle of all of that, which is that we sit under the preaching of the word of God. We come together knowing that it is his word and his testimonies and his truth. And we worship together by, by hearing it preached. We, we worship together by the, that, that one spirit working in all of us through that word. And finally, we see that there is this proclaiming of the truth. Personal devotion and public worship proclaim the truth. And this is an act of worship. They will proclaim this to others. This is what the priests were called to do. The others would know about God and about his word because of them as priests. Friends, others are to know about God and his gospel because of you. God is powerful and mighty, and he will reveal himself to whom he wishes, but he has called you. He has called the church. Proclaim his truth. And an excellent example we see in a lot of the Old Testament, and perhaps the, for some of us the easiest place to start, proclaim this truth at home to your spouse. Well, they're already a Christian. They still need the gospel. They're still sinners. Proclaim the truth to your spouse. Proclaim it to your children, friends. Oh, pray that God would save your children and teach them the gospel. Friends, before anyone else, let your, let your children seek instruction from you. Pray that God would use your proclaiming the truth, that he would turn them away from iniquity. And, and please, by your instruction, do not cause them to stumble. Proclaim the truth to your spouse, to, to your children, to your friends, to your coworkers, to your extended family. When you're at, at work, an excellent testimony is your personal devotion and your public worship. But they also need to hear the word of God. Proclaim the truth to them. Or when you're at family gatherings, if you're out to lunch, maybe there's a, a giant birthday party where everyone gathers together. How are you sharing the word of God? Proclaim the truth. And very quickly, I, I do want to just say a, a, a quick word to, to pastors. So I, I don't think there is any more office of the priest. There's, there's no need for a priest anymore. But the function of the priest, as we have seen, is still in some ways fulfilled through all of us and in some ways fulfilled through pastors. So specifically, Grant and Cameron, uh, even, even Zeke, as we look at the ministry, right? Friends, I would encourage you as pastors to be personally devoted you should stand in fear and awe of our God. As an example to your people, yes, but so that you may worship him. Publicly worship him. We obviously get to see that at least twice a week for some of us. 
but, but let it be an example to us that you are publicly worshiping him and let us see that. That in some ways, some people may call this your job, but don't show up to clock in for a job. Show up to worship him with us. And friends, proclaim the truth. As you know that you are going to preach the word, and again, feeling convicted, make sure you are handling it well. Whether we are reading it, or praying it, or singing it, or planning around it, proclaim the truth. That was quick. And finally, I want to point us to Christ as, as his word should and all messages should. It's interesting that we actually see in all of this indictment and in all of this judgment, we actually see uh, a small bit of mercy uh, to the priests. And in Numbers 18, uh, talking to the priests, God says, And you shall bear no sin by reason of it, when you have contributed the best of it, but you shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, lest you die. These priests that Malachi was preaching to should be dead. Because that's what God said would happen if they profaned the holy things. And friends, they have polluted this worship. But in that mercy, we are pointed to one where we find ultimate mercy. And we are pointed to the one who is a true priest. A one who, who came not only to fulfill this office of the priest, but also to fulfill the image of the sacrifice. He came as, as really the temple, the presence of God, and as the priest and before, before his people, before God, and as the sacrifice. He did it all. He died on the cross in your place for your sins. And what a great high priest he is. And that's what Malachi points us to. We're going to see later in chapter 3 and verse 4, he points to this messenger who's coming to prepare the way of the Lord. And in all of this judgment, we see Malachi pointing forward to this merciful, promised, coming one who will prepare the way of the Lord. And in that, we see the coming promised Messiah, this Savior, this true priest. So friends, that's where I want to leave you tonight, pointing to him. So let's pray to him now. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus, our great high priest who has sacrificed for us. And Father, we pray for forgiveness of sins. We pray for help by your spirit to worship you truly. And Father, may your truth be proclaimed through our mouths and through our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.